Uh, since the Shmuz was supposed to be given on Monday, I'll allow myself to access last week's Parshot, Parshiot, um, even though we're already at the end of the week. Um, if you were paying attention, hopefully you were to Matos and Masai, uh, there are two things that I want to focus on. One is the story of B'nai Gadu, B'nai Ruvain, and then the quote, not to be misinterpreted by this word, the quote, boring, unquote, repetition of just each encampment. They they camped here, and then they got up, and they traveled, and they camped here, and they traveled over and over and over again. Why that's, what, what's the Torah telling us? So let's start with the story of B'nai Gadu, B'nai Ruvain. We already see a bit of a difference between B'nai Ruvain and B'nai Gad. B'nai Ruvain had a lot of sheep, and B'nai Gad was very wealthy. And they they saw the what we call the east bank of the Jordan River, Transjordan today. Uh, I mean, Jordan today, Transjordan before 1940, uh, 1948. Um, and they wanted to be there because that was the most appropriate place for the fact that they were shepherds. And they went to Moshe, and they said, right, uh, it's, it's very good land for us, and we would like to stay here. And it's interesting that, th- that there was no criticism of that in and of itself. Uh, but the Kliakar picks, but Chazal viewed the request negatively, very, very under the surface. The Kliakar gives us one indication B'nai Ruvain had a lot of sheep. B'nai Gad was very wealthy. Ruvain was obviously the older Shevet. And when they came to Moshe, Vayavo B'nai Gad B'nai Ruvain. Vayomru el Moshe. They came as B'nai Gad came first and then B'nai Ruvain. So says the Kliyakar, you see already an impropriety. Because B'nai Gad was wealthy. Therefore, as wealthy people, they felt they're justified in coming first. Because wealthy people always think they're the leaders. So that was already something that was not quite appropriate. But the Medrash says something much more important. And this is the lesson we need to learn. So the Medrash says like this, Sholosh Matonos Nivru Ba'olam. HaKadosh Baruch has created three gifts for every person in the world. And Zoha Ba'achas Mehenatol Chemdas Kola Olam. Any one of them, if you get it right, it's really like worth everything. What are those Matonos? Chachma, Gvura, and Osher. Wisdom, strength, and wealth. But then the Medrash continues, Bizman shehein matnos shamayim uba'os b'koach ha-Torah. When they are gifts that are given from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, matnos shamayim, you get them as gifts from, from the Almighty. So then, they are, then they are Everything. Ava, what's the contrast? But the strength or the wealth that comes as a human effort, not from Matnos Shamayim B'Koach Torah, will elaborate on what that means. So then it's nothing. And then he brings Psukim. Lola Kali Meirotz, famous Psukim in Kohelet that the light-footed people are not always the ones that win the races. Lola giborim milchama, 
and the strong don't always win the war. Gam lo lachachamim lechem. It's not always the smart people that get all the sustenance. Gam lo linavonim osher. They don't always get the wealth, and not always the smartest people have chain. Continues the finishes the pasuk ki eight upega yikreet kula. What that means is that at the end of the day, all of the stuff is temporary. Anything that exists in the physical world, so it's all temporary. And that's an that's the first lesson that whatever God gives you, it's not going to last. But what can last, and that's one of the messages of Koach Torah, what can last eternally is what you do with it. And let's read on in the in the Medrash. Also quotes Al Yitalel Chacham Bechochmatov that the Chacham should not praise himself with his wisdom, the Gibor with his strength, the Usher with his with his wealth. Again, each of the three things we just talked about. Umatanot elu bezman shehinan boing min Hakadosh Baruch Hu sofan lehipasek minen. If you're not getting these things from Hakadosh Baruch Hu from God, as it said earlier, matnos shamayim bekoach haTorah, they will end. They will terminate. And then it lists people who were wealthy and they lost their wealth. And the conclusion there is, why did all of these people who were wealthy people lose their wealth? The gift didn't come from God. They grabbed it for themselves. And that's a very strange language. They grabbed it for themselves. They shiuredas. The Rashiv of Tells has a section on this where he says, I can understand maybe how people are chotvin money. What does chotvin mean? Chotvin means A, you're doing it without work, you're grabbing it as opposed to working for it. And number two, and this is the important thing, you're chotvin, you grab, well if I grab it, so that means it wasn't really appropriate for me, but I had to grab it. So he says, I understand how you can grab money, but how do you grab wisdom? So that's the answer, is grabbing means I want to get something without really working for it, and it may not be appropriate for me. And unfortunately, that's a lot of what could easily, we could easily, traps we could easily fall into. Our culture, our society, we want everything quick, we want everything easy, we don't want to work so hard for it. And we don't necessarily think about what's appropriate for us, but too often what we do when we make a decision about what we want, what does the other guy have? What is the other guy doing? And that's what, how we decide what we want. So that's exactly what's not appropriate for you. This leads us, we'll come back to this in a minute, but it leads us to the beginning of Parshas Masse, where over and over again it's repeated, Masay b'nei Yisrael, the the the, tra- the travels, vayisu me'etam, vayisu mipiachirot, and then it goes vayisu mibidibarsin, vayachanu bedovka, yisu midovka, yachanu ba'olush, over and over again. What's the message? So say the Balei Chasidus. I believe it's the I believe it's the, it's the um, uh, where did I see it the first time? I'll remember. Um, that this is representative of the life of every Jew. Every Jew goes through Mem Bet Masos. There are 42 
travels here, 42 encampments. Membeit is a very Kabbalistic number that is connected with the Shem HaMafurash. And every Jew has travels where they go and they camp and they go and they camp. You are going to be confronted with new challenges, multiple stations in life. Every person goes through many different situations and each one of them is called a masa. It's, each of them is a, tri- is a trip. And there's another lesson here. We like to run through life. When it says, Vayisu Vayachanu, Vayisu Vayachanu, you got to travel, you got to accomplish in a new situation. But then Vayachanu, you have to stop, you have to re- regroup, you have to consolidate what you've accomplished before you go on to the next Vayisu. So there are a few messages here. A, every person has lots of different stations and travels, but they're unique personal stations, and you have to go, and then you have to regroup. And you have to identify your challenges, your resources. Here where we come back to the idea of Chotvin. You can't grab, you can't do it quick, and you can't grab what's not appropriate for you. It's a big challenge to identify what is appropriate for you. What are the matanos, what are the gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving you that they're appropriate for you? Because if you take, if you grab something and it's not coming, the language of the Medrash, which we'll elaborate in a minute, if it's not coming from Shmatnos Shamayim Bekoach HaTorah, it doesn't last. It dissipates. It disappears because all you did is you have the physical accomplishment. Physical accomplishments always disappear. This is one of the explanations. We have it here. We also have it back in... in uh, in, in the Parshas uh, Vayishlach, when Yaakov goes back to get some minor uh, minor vessels, tzaddikim chaviven alehem mamonim yoser megufon. The tzaddik understands the critical value of money, and the language is she'en poshtim yadam begezel, because they don't steal the money. Well, you, you suspected a thief of stealing money. The point is that they realize that every resource they have is a spiritual resource and they don't want to use resources for the inappropriate purpose. When somebody takes resources and misuses them, there's a criminal term for that. It's called embezzlement. So you've got to say, God gave me resources. Am I using those resources for the purpose for which God gave them? Or am I taking those resources for my own personal agenda. That's embezzlement. And you've got to make sure that you weren't chotef, that you didn't grab the resources, that you didn't take resources without work, that they didn't come from heaven, and that you are taking resources that are uniquely appropriate for you. Because again, I can't repeat enough times that chotefin resources means I look at what everybody else is doing and I say, I guess I should do that also. Instead of looking at what are my 42 stations in life and what am I supposed to do in each station that's personal for me? There's one other aspect, which is a little strange, because when Moshe is criticizing the people for 
wanting to stay in Eber Hayardain, most of the psukim are criticism that hyperlinks us back to the Maraglim. All the psukim, you're like the Maraglim, and you're doing what the Maraglim did. And so Goldvich says, why, like, why so much focus on the Maraglim compared to B'nei Garu B'nei Ruvein? So again, I, I, they're already in, in part of Israel. They didn't want to go the other, but it wasn't as bad as the Maraglim. Maraglim wanted to stay in the desert. Says Rav Goldicht, why did they want Ever Hayardain? Because it was a perfect setup for their Parnassa. Sheep, gra- uh, grazing lands, they won't have to do a lot of work. Well, of course, it wasn't that they didn't want to do a lot of work so they can binge on Netflix. They didn't want to do a lot of physical work so that they could be involved in spiritual work. So that was the Miraglim. The Miraglim wanted to stay in the desert being completely engrossed in a spiritual life. They didn't want to go into Israel where we're going to have to plow and plant and work and fight and run an economy. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, I want you to serve me within the physical aspects of the, of, of the world and not just think that you're going to disconnect from the physical world. And again, that is... You get these resources, you get wealth, and you get strength, and you get wisdom. Bekoach HaTorah. What does it mean now, Bekoach HaTorah? So here I want to access a very famous letter from Rav Hutner. And this is where the title of the Shmuz came from. So Rav Hutner, this is a letter in 1954. So apparently he got a letter. I mean, in 1954, um, you, you know, you didn't have a lot of uh, there weren't a lot of yeshiva guys in 1954. Um, and the guys who learned in yeshiva, they eventually went back into the professional world. So Rav Hutner gets a letter from one of his Talmidim, where it's clear from the letter that the Talmud is complaining of the challenge of living a life of a ben Torah in the professional world. Now in 1954, on one level, it was a lot harder then than it is now. There was less Torah resources, the envir- the professional world wasn't so Jewish friendly. But on the other hand, the professional and secular, secular world was less pressured, less ideologically opposed than it is today. So you've got to realize that there are advantages and disadvantages to being in the professional world today compared to 1954. But he was complaining, right? He was complaining that he has a secular career and he has a Torah life. And his complaint was, I feel like I am living a double life. That a few hours a day, I'm in the secular world, and a few hours a day, I'm in the, I'm in the Torah world, a religious world, that's a double life. And that's, that's pretty bad. You're living a double life. So Rav Hutner said, you're making a mistake. What does a double life look like? A double life looks like a guy, Rav Hutner alludes, alludes so we understand it even better today, I'm sure he didn't want to mention it, uh, explicitly in 1954, maybe it wasn't quite so common and so well known. A person has a house with a family. That's one house. That's one life. And then he keeps an apartment somewhere else for other illicit activities. Says so that's a double life. He has a house and he has an apartment in two separate places and he behaves differently in each place. But, says Rav Hutner, what about a person who has a multi-room house? One house with lots of rooms. So, that's not a double life. That's a rich life. That's the language that he uses. There's a difference between a double life and a rich life. 
So a broad life. I'm saying the word he uses is a broad life. You broaden your life. So then Rabbutner at the end alludes to the idea. What makes a, 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 a Torah Jew's life broad instead of double? If you have a central point, and that's the center of your life, your house, and then you have rooms in your house, other things that you do in your life orbit around the central point. So then that is a broad life. And the more points you have around the circle, Rav Huttner calls it a circle with a center, the more points you have around the circle, the bigger the circle, the broader the life. So says Rav Huttner that a Jew is not, a, a Torah Jew doesn't live a double life. It's not okay. I'm one person, and this was, by the way, how some of the Reformed Jews, the early Reformed Jews who were really mitzvah observant Jews in Germany, I'm a Jew in the house, and I'm a German in the workplace. That was a standard mantra. Um, and again, that was something that Rav Hirsch had to fight. Had to fight. So Rav Hutner is saying that a broad life is not a double life. But you have to make sure, as Torah Jews, that you're not living a double life. That everything about your life, your career and your family and everything that goes on in your life, is all part of of a, a broad, rich life with a central point of Torah. And that's really what the Medrash is telling us. The contrast is between matanos that are bows, that are matanos shamayim ubos bekoach ha and here is our central point, that all of the things that you have, all the resources that you have, whether it's your money or your wisdom or your strength, it's got to be orbiting around that central point of koach ha in contrast to chotvin. I've got it, I grab it, I want it quick, I want it easy. I don't even think whether it's appropriate for me. I just want it because social pressure, jealousy, physical comfort. So, this is what, we're at the end of Azman. We're going to have a Ben Azman, and many of you are going back to the professional secular world. You have to make sure that you're not living a double life. Make sure that you're living a very broad life. That you're identifying. Being in yeshiva was one of your membet masaot. It had its challenges. You traveled here. You vayisu. Here's vayachanu. But even while you're here, it could be called vayisu. You're traveling. But you have to make sure that you're also consolidating. And then you're going to be traveling on and going to a new situation. And you have to make sure that the situations you're going to are appropriate for you, that you're viewing the resources you're getting as coming from the Almighty, and that you are focused on the goals that the resources were given to you, what purpose were they given to you for. And then you can say that the matonos, the presence that I'm getting, are both bekoach Torah, and then you can have confidence that they will last and that your life will be a broad, rich life and not a double life.